If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. While you're doing that, just a reminder that youth is kicking off this week. And uh, if you don't have information about that, you can see Lucy or Ethan. I see Ethan in the back. Ethan, will you just stand? Did Lucy go out with the kids? Where did Lucy go? She did. She, she plays and she sings and she does the kids as well as she does youth. <laughs> just talk to one of these guys. They'd be happy to fill you in on what's going on. They're kicking off this evening. Uh, did you have to find that? Did you? You guys are great. I was just, uh, I received uh, in the mail just a little follow-up to the Will Graham thing and I just, uh, I just wanted to share, if you haven't seen this, that the Will Graham celebration, there was about 5,515 people who attended, 685 responses, 449, almost 450 first-time salvations. Many of you were part of that, and it's important that we realize that, that the, the result is not over because of those people who got saved, many of them will impact family and friends. Uh, but let me ask you to keep praying, but thank you for those of you who are involved. It's an awesome time, uh, just in whatever way Jesus is declared and people come to know him. It's, I've been surprised in the process of that, talking to a number of older people or people whose parents got saved in a previous Bill Graham, uh, uh, yeah, Billy Graham uh, evangelistic crusade that changed their whole family, their whole destiny, second and third generation now serving Jesus because someone made a decision. Uh, and so there's a whole lot more happens than just numbers. There's lives transformed. There's future families and destinies transformed. So uh, that's, that's awesome. I'm, I'm thrilled with that. Before I get in the word this morning, I'm gonna ask you to pray for me, and then I'm gonna ask you to pray for yourself. Why am I asking you to pray for me? Not that I'm sick or anything, but I've just been overwhelmed again this week with how difficult it is for me, personally, to communicate the glory of Jesus in, in real words and to communicate truth and the heart of God together. And so I just, I've really struggled this week, not in a negative sense, but there's just overwhelmed. God, I just can't communicate this. I need help. And then the other side of that coin is that you need help from the Holy Spirit to receive it. You need revelation. So will you pray for me right now? Just do that, pray out loud. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, will you put your hand on your heart and pray for yourself? Thank you for that uh, musical interlude there. Lord, thank you for revelation, that you bring revelation, what only you can do. Thank you, Lord. We open our hearts to you. Amen. We're talking about the glorious church. 
and it just, as I said, hit me this week, that it's beyond our human understanding. Uh, it really is. When we talk about the, the church that Jesus is coming for. Uh, we talked about last week the introduction that church is a gathering of believers focus on Jesus. It's organic. It's not organizational. It's not a place. It's not a building. Uh, for those of you who are relatively new, this is not our desired building. Uh, we don't like the fixed chairs, but we are forced here at this point because we needed more room for kids. But it doesn't facilitate us connecting. We'll talk about that a bit more uh, next week. Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 25. I love how it starts here. Husbands, love your wives. I said it was organic. It's people. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we, she should be holy and without blemish. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Hang on to that thought and turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 22. From verse 34, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, so a lawyer comes to Jesus and he's asking him a question to test him. He's trying to trip him up. It says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? By this point, there were 613 commandments. And he's saying, tell us which is the greatest, and then we can categorize you in a certain category. And in response to that, Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and this is the first and great commandment. Then he goes beyond the question, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments uh, hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus is saying, the epitome of the law is this. But turn with me over to John chapter 13. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Most of you have heard, and I had growing up, sermons about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. What I want you to understand this morning, that Jesus was saying, the best of the old standard is what you can do, your best ability. But he, he establishes a new standard. Love one another as I have loved you. 
The old standard is do the best according to your human effort. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the best of the old standard. But then he comes along, he says, but a new standard, a new commandment, is that you love as I have loved you. That's a heavy-duty thought. The best of the old is what we can do in our human strength. The new far exceeds that. It says we're to love as he has loved us. How did he love us? We read it in Ephesians. He gave himself. You with me? Old standard. Love to the best of your human ability. New standard. Love like Jesus loves. See, the Bible has a word for that. The word's agape. It's almost never used outside the New Testament. And it literally means a selfless, giving love that is really concerned for another person's best. Let me say that again. A selfless, giving love that really wants someone else's best. Human ability is down here. Jesus sets a standard that's way up here. Jesus was not, never saying, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, is the epitome of the kingdom. He was saying that's the epitome of the old covenant. The new covenant exceeds that. He wasn't saying love God with, with the best of your ability. He's actually saying now, love as I've loved. Okay, some of you are going, hmm, I've never heard that. Some of you have actually gone farther ahead and you said, okay, I hear you, but how is that possible? I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. It's possible in two parts. The first part is that we have to die to ourselves. This is not a very popular message. This is not going to be the uh, number one download from our website because we're talking about dying to self. Last week, uh, we read in Matthew 16 about Jesus says he'll build his church. And then if you go on, in the context of that, in verse 24, he says this. He said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For every who desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And Luke, he says the same thing. But in Luke chapter 9 and verse 24, He says it like this. He said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily 
and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, whoever desires to, uh, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. See, Jesus' basic message is this. The best of your human ability isn't enough. He's not talking about making a better you. He's actually talking about something supernatural. Not a better self, but dying to ourself. Why do we need to die to ourself? This is the most profound thing you're going to hear. You need to die to yourself because yourself is selfish. Self is selfish. See, we can never have a selfless, giving agape in our natural self. Because our natural self is selfish. So Jesus says, in order to have a glorious church that's full of supernatural love and grace, we have to actually die to ourself first. Now we all know this, in the natural, everyone's selfish. You know it's true. I don't care what psychologists tell you that people are, are basically good. You know that's not true because you know you. See, the problem is if we believe that kind of stuff, then we think, oh, well, I'm the one that's not good because I know me. I'm selfish. Here's another aside. This is why the world will never be a place of love, irregardless of what John Lennon said. He had the right idea. The problem is we'll never get there because if all we have is self, we're limited. I used to, uh, when I was younger, I was involved in sports. I played uh, tennis and basketball at a university level in the United States and uh, did that through high school, uh, was involved in a number of sports. And in that realm of sports, Discipline is key. Training and, and working out and running and uh, practicing all the, the, the uh, shots and everything. I spent hundreds of hours shooting free throws. Discipline is key. The problem is in that mindset, I thought I could discipline myself to be more spiritual. See, for me, prayer was a discipline. I didn't actually believe that God did anything when we prayed, but I thought that prayer was good for us. Discipline wasn't a problem. Fasting for me wasn't a problem. Discipline was king. I knew how to be disciplined. But the problem is that discipline and dying to self isn't enough. The second part of how it's possible to live this way is being filled with the supernatural love and grace of God. 
which is, in essence, the Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God. We die to ourselves that we can be filled with the Spirit of God, which is a supernatural love and grace. John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For I do, do not go, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I'll send him to you. It's to your advantage. You can't do this in your own strength. Romans 5, 5 says, the hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Why is it to our advantage? Because a supernatural love that comes with the Spirit fills us, a supernatural grace. You're still with me? Let me recap. Jesus' plan for a glorious church is to create a place of love and grace that represents him and his kingdom. By this will all men know you're my disciples by your love for one another. That's his plan for a glorious church. The problem is selfishness and love are polar opposites. Love is not, according to the Bible, agape is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not a chance happening. It's a choice that we make. The opposite of love, which is choosing someone else's best, is selfishness, which is choosing my own best. It's why we can't be filled with love and grace until we actually die to self. So when we come to Jesus, the Bible is very clear about as we follow him, we get baptized. What is baptism? It's death, burial, and resurrection. Death to ourself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Burial, we die. And then we're resurrected in him, a new person. That's wonderful if it just happened once, it would be great. The problem is that sometimes self wants to come back to life. Have any of you ever experienced that? We nail him into the coffin and somehow he finds a way to sneak back out. We live in a natural world and everything around us is selfish. And if we're not careful, that creeps back in. So what happens? Someone offends or disappoints me. And in the natural, there is a spectrum of how we respond. On one end of the spectrum is confrontation. I told you that I used to uh, be involved in sports. I also had a very bad temper. I would get really angry uh, and get in fights and all kinds of things. See, confrontation says, I'm going to stand up for my rights. How dare you treat me like that? How dare you do those things? 
I'm going to take care of it. The other end of the spectrum is withdrawal. I'm not going to confront, but I'm going to withdraw. Now, in my discipline, I thought it wasn't good to beat up people. So I was going to be disciplined in the flesh, and I was going to control my temper and withdraw. Made it very difficult when Mary and I got married because I knew that confrontation wasn't the way, so I would just withdraw. Many of us develop a, a habit pattern of withdrawing. Either physically, we remove ourselves, or emotionally. We close off our heart. When someone disappoints us or offends us, if we don't confront them, and Australians as a whole do not like confrontation. There are, ex there are always exceptions to the rule, but as a whole, we don't like confrontation, so we tend to withdraw. And the problem is that we withdraw emotionally. So what do we do? We actually live on a whole different dimension. Not a natural dimension at all, but a spiritual dimension where we press into Jesus to get more love and grace, not less. See, when we, when we withdraw, what happens is that our circle of love becomes smaller. I can't handle Johan. So I'm going to put up a wall. And pretty soon, my wall excludes everyone except my family. And let me tell you, once you start down that path, pretty soon it excludes everyone but you. So we can't exist on this planet at all. We actually have to move to a whole different dimension which is pressing into Jesus, which is what we can do because we've been redeemed and filled with his spirit. We're no longer limited by our natural ability. We now can receive his love. The love of God is poured into our hearts. You're not limited to your natural self. Okay, good theory. Let's get real. What happens when there's difficulty in my marriage? Almost without exception, I've allowed selfishness to come back in. So what do I need to do? I need to press into Jesus. What happens when someone doesn't live up to my expectation and I'm disappointed or hurt? Or what happens if they actually offend me? Does selfishness creep in? Do we start defending ourselves? Getting confrontational and critical? Do we withdraw? Or do we press into Jesus to get more love and grace? If we're going to be a glorious church, the only option 
is to press into Jesus for more love and grace. We can never be the church that Jesus is building on a natural plane. Because let me tell you, you will be offended. Someone will disappoint you. Someone will not live up to your expectation. I won't preach the thing you want to hear. The, the worship leader won't pick the song that you wanted. Somebody will not say hi to you. Somebody will uh, ignore you. Somebody will, will not return your phone call. Something will happen that you get offended. That's the reality of a church of people who aren't perfect yet. We're very quiet, very serious. Turn over to uh, Luke 22. This is going to seem like an uh, absolute change of direction, and it is, but it'll come back in a minute. Verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down, and the 12 apostles with him, and he said to them, with fervent desire, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, said, take and divide this among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and said to them, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he did something that had never been done before. He said, likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood, which is shed for you. The Passover, they was referring back to Egypt, the putting of blood on the doorpost and the angel of death passed over. And in sharing it at that point, they had another cup that they never used. It was a prophetic cup pointing to a new covenant. And when Jesus, by his death and the shedding of his blood, fulfilled the old covenant, took away our sin, instituted a new covenant, which is a covenant of love. That's the difference. It's not a covenant based on our ability. It's a covenant based on his love. And so not only was that the case, but in the, the culture at that time, it also represented something different, which was the covenant of marriage. Because there would be, in that setting, when a man and a woman, their family had worked out that they were going to get married, they'd have a dinner. And they'd have worked out all the details, but at, at the end of this dinner, the potential bridegroom, future bridegroom, would take the cup and he would extend it and say, I choose you. And if she took that cup and drank of it, they were in covenant. I've said this before, but in our culture, covenant begins at the, the marriage. 
In that culture, it began at the engagement. They were in covenant. And so Jesus was virtually saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. He was saying it's a covenant of love. And that's why I said a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Not to the best of your ability, but as I've loved you. And gave himself. And died for us. There's something of that. The, the communion that we're going to share just now is a reminder of the, the completion of the old. It's a reminder that our sins have been removed. It's a reminder that we've been restored to relationship with God. But it's also a reminder of love. It's a reminder that you can't live this new covenant according to the flesh. According to the law. You can't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself without the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit. So as we take this, I'll tell you about just just a moment. I'm going to ask if you would just, uh, there's, communion at both front and back. Uh, if you just go take that in just a moment, just take it, bring it back to your seat. There'll be some people who will help you out there. There is gluten-free uh, stuff at both the front. There's also some in the back, just so that you can get there. So just go ahead, go grab that. We would pass it to you, but uh, it's, can't do that yet. So please just go get it and bring it back to your seat. And hang on to it. Some of you have figured out that uh, you can get that for yourself and for others as well. I should dance or sing or something. <laughs> when you've got that, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head for a moment. One Corinthians 11 says, "When you take this, examine yourself." This isn't, are we righteous enough? Because we're only righteous in Jesus. 
This is a reminder of covenant, but also, have we allowed selfishness to creep back in? If you're struggling in your marriage, have you allowed selfishness to creep back in? If you're offended with someone, have you allowed selfishness to creep back in? Or have you pressed into Jesus for supernatural love and grace? That's the reminder of this. The type of love Jesus was that he, his body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for us. And he says, love one another the same way. Let me tell you, we can't do that in our own flesh if selfishness has gotten back in. So take a moment and simply respond to the Holy Spirit. Be honest, Lord, I've let selfishness come back in. I've been offended, and rather than pressing into you for more love and grace, I've either got confrontational or, or withdrawn. Whatever it is, just turn from it. There's no condemnation, just turn and say, Lord, I need to be filled again. I'm reminded of your covenant. And as I take this, that represents your body broken for me, I'm willing to lay down myself for others. Go ahead and take that cracker. And as we take the cup, which is his blood poured out for us. Lord, we thank you. But we also say, fill us anew with the love of your new covenant. Fill us anew. We need you, even as we take this. I've learned to shut this thing off when I'm chomping because uh, a while back, Johan put a sound to Steve when he was actually uh, leading communion. And so now I've learned to shut this thing off. It's all Johan. I'm going to ask the, uh, the worship team if they come. Uh, we did a song there that... Uh, Fiona didn't know what I was preaching. I didn't know the songs that she was picking, but... I hadn't heard it before, but it was more of Jesus. Uh, it was actually laying down myself and more of him. I'd just like us to do that again as a, just a, a confirmation uh, for all of us. If you'd stand as we sing this together.